Hello everyone and welcome to Behind the Ball, a show dedicated to talking all about the beautiful game of football. Today we are talking all about 2018 and I'll tell you about my highlight of the year and what it meant to me. But as not all of you who listen to this are English, there may be a few of you who disagree with my choice. And if you do, it's okay, because the conversation can continue on the Behind the Ball Twitter account, which you can find under at behind underscore the underscore ball. I'll also post a link to our Twitter handle in the description when every podcast goes live. So without further ado, roll those titles. Welcome to Behind the Ball, the podcast discussing the beautiful game. Hello, everyone. Well, 2018 was quite a year for football. We had the World Cup in Russia, a tournament which so many people were worried about. There were initial talks of boycotting and fears of violence and racist abuse from Russian ultras. And from what I could see from broadcasters and fans, it was a tournament to be remembered. Everyone was well behaved. It had a carnival atmosphere. The home nation made it to a World Cup quarterfinal, which probably helped. And they beat, you know, one of the favourites, Spain, along the way. It was just a great, great tournament. You know, it wasn't meant to be for either Cristiano Ronaldo's Portugal or Lionel Messi's Argentina. You know, it now looks like one or two of the greatest players of all time might never win the World Cup. You know, emerging star Kylian Mbappe had a tournament to remember by winning the tournament with eventual winners France. And there were a few surprises too, you know, with none of Germany, Spain or Brazil making it to the semi-final stage. Is the landscape of international football changing? I guess we'll see in 2019 and for the years to come. Uh, another big news story, Manchester City became the first team to score 100 points in their record-breaking title-winning season. And you won't believe this, but they also broke 10 Premier League records through the season as well. Um, and they were the biggest title-winning margin. They were 19 points clear of second-placed Manchester United. It was the earliest title success, wrapping up the league title with just five games to go. Most goals, they scored 106. Most wins, they scored 32 out of a possible 38. Most consecutive wins, 18 wins in a row. Most away wins, 16 They had the best goal difference ever in Premier League history. That was plus 79. They had the highest average possession, which you probably won't be surprised about with a Pep Guardiola team, but it was 71% possession over the 38 games. They had the most passes, 28,242. Again, another statistic you probably won't be particularly surprised by. And Pep Guardiola for the most consecutive manager of the month awards. He won four during the season. Pretty amazing Manchester City, really. An incredible year, an incredible season, and fully deserved. And they will, without doubt, go down as one of the greatest teams in Premier League history. Luka Modric was named the Ballon d'Or winner, becoming the first player other than Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi to win the award since Kaká won it in 2007. And he had a great year, didn't he? He was the Golden Ball winner at the World Cup. He captained his country to a World Cup final. And he won his third consecutive Champions League with Real Madrid. And he's always been a player I've rated and he's kind of gone under the radar. But he had such an effect on both of those teams in 2018. And 
with Ronaldo and Messi not having the seasons that they usually have. They only scored 60 goals instead of 70. Uh, quite unbelievable, really. But well-deserved, and it was nice to see a player other than those two win the big award. Uh, Zinedine Zidane became the first manager to win the Champions League three times in a row with the same club, Real Madrid. Uh, he later went on to leave the role and has since been licked with the vacant manager's role at Manchester United. Um, now among the elite managers in world football for his achievements at the Bernabeu, no doubt. Uh, just in two years and five months, he won nine trophies. Uh, that included those three Champions League victories, but also two Club World Cups, two UEFA Super Cups, one La Liga title and one Spanish Super Cup. Where he goes next, it'll be very, very interesting. And Arsenal's 22-year reign under the stewardship of Arsene Wenger came to an end. And it all went a bit sour, uh, didn't it, towards the end? But it was nice to see, at his last game, Arsenal supporters celebrated that he won three Premier League titles, seven FA Cups, created a football team which was a pleasure to watch. In my eyes, still better uh, on the eye than the Manchester City team of today. He created the Invincibles, a team that went a full season unbeaten. They remain the only Premier League team to ever do so. And he gave us the gift of Thierry Henry, my favourite player. He turned him from a left winger to arguably the greatest striker to ever play in the Premier League. It's a shame that actually he couldn't go out by winning another trophy, but he will always be remembered as one of the true pioneers of the Premier League era, who without question revolutionised the British game. But my highlight of the year was England and specifically that penalty shootout victory in the last 16 against Colombia. And for so many reasons, it was my highlight of the year. Football in England is like a way of life. It's ingrained in the culture. When the national team does well, the country just comes alive. It breeds just happiness everywhere. And this year I was unfortunately unable to be in England, but from talking to my family and friends, just viewing videos on social media, you could see how amazing it was. You know, it was a long, hot summer. I don't think it rained for like three months. You know, I saw all the beer showers and celebrations. And finally, finally, we had a team uh, to be proud of. And my generation has never lived through a summer like this following England. You know, my dad turned 18 during the World Cup in 1966. And he said that it was one of the best summers of his entire life. You know, seeing his country win the World Cup at home, when we would speak about it and I would ask him a lot of questions about it, his face would just light up. And in all honesty, over the past, I would say at least five or six years, the English people had fallen out of love with our national team. You know, so many disappointments, so many oh-so-nearly moments, what-ifs. And it all became a bit old for a while and hope turned into apathy and apathy turned into not really caring at all. But then rise Sir Gareth Southgate, his waistcoat and Russia 2018. And this tournament made us fall back in love again with the team. Now, I won't go into too much detail about this England side because I covered it all in my very first podcast. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. And... 
I give the reasons why I feel we had a successful summer and why we continue to show real signs of progress. But back to the penalty shootout, I actually remember the day of the game. I remember going for a run in the morning, thinking about how big a match this was. It was a chance for England to win a knockout fixture for the first time since the World Cup in 2006, 12 years ago. And honestly, I was still annoyed that all the momentum had been lost in the defeat to Belgium. You know, Even though that did put us on the easier side of the draw, I was very nervous about facing a Colombia side who can be very, very unpredictable. And let's be honest, they have some top, top players. And you would think being outside of the bubble of England, I wouldn't be so nervous. But I was really nervous. And where I live in the US, it was ridiculously hot in the summer and during the World Cup especially. And we don't have the best AC unit. And I got so hot and sweaty, I would start games wearing England tops and I would end them topless, essentially. Sorry, guys. And I became so superstitious because the first two games I did this were against Tunisia and Panama. And obviously we won both of those games. So I was like, you know what? I am not going to wear a top for the Colombia game because I'm, I am pretty superstitious and I'll cling on to any hope when it comes to England. And the game itself was bitty and Colombia actually tried all kinds of tricks to wind England up. And I remember one specific moment where one of their players headbutted Jordan Henderson uh, when Harry Kane won the penalty. They were scuffing up the penalty spot, you know, arguing with the referee, trying to slow the game down. You know, eventually we did get into that one goal lead and we were looking comfortable. But you always know with England, it's never going to be that simple. And we concede a corner after a quite wonderful save by Jordan Pickford, by the way. And then they take the corner and we concede that last second goal. And I've been here before. The nation has been here before. We all know what's coming. You know, the inevitable exit, either in extra time or through dreaded penalties. And I remember in the moments before the equaliser being so uptight, knowing we were so close to a World Cup quarterfinal, to winning our first knockout game since 2006. And then when they scored, I just felt like a deflated balloon. I was gutted and, in all honesty, convinced we were coming home. Now, if you're listening to this and you aren't English, you're probably thinking we're a pessimistic bunch, and you especially, Andrew. But we have actually really good reason to be. You know, we had not won a knockout game since 2006. We'd lost all three of our previous penalty shootouts in the World Cup in 1990, 98 and 2006. And the same applies in the European Championships, where we lost on penalties in 1996. Uh, we'll talk more about that later in 2004 and 2012 and basically for us English people it's pretty much a guarantee that you're going home you know in the build-up to the tournament we had the normal quotes from our manager saying the team had been practicing penalties Gareth Southgate was very particular in that he was said we want the players to own the moment and not let the emotion overcome them but I'll be honest it's never made a difference in the past and in the moments leading up to the penalty shootout, my wife, Autumn, was sat, I remember, stony-faced on the sofa, still annoyed at England for conceding, for allowing it to get to this point. But she still had this really annoying sense of calm. 
And for me, and I'm sure like every other English man or lady watching the game, I was kind of like a coiled spring, yet very sweaty and also shaking like a leaf all at the same time. And they always say it's the hope that kills you when it comes to England. And that is exactly what it was. Now, the first five were all scored. You know, Kane and Rashford for England with emphatic penalties. And the sixth penalty taker was England. And next up was Jordan Henderson. And a man who, before the tournament, had so many doubters, including myself. And it wasn't even a bad penalty, but it was a fantastic save. And it, it's at this moment where my heart just sinks. And I, all I think is, here we go again. But then, but then, Uribe hits the bar and we're back in it. And I'm thinking, what? This isn't supposed to happen, is it? A second chance for England to get back into it? Now, next up is Kieran Trippier. And this was the key penalty. To draw back level at three apiece and to apply the pressure back to the Columbia's taker. That's what we wanted to do. And Trippier was one of my players of the tournament. It was Tottenham against Arsenal and he buries it in the top corner. Absolute balls of steel. A fantastic, brilliant, astonishing penalty from Kieran Trippier. And at this point, I'm thinking, actually, I don't even know what I'm thinking. I tell a lie. And then Carlos Backer steps up. It's three apiece. And I'm thinking, if only Pickford can save this. And then Pickford saves it, his left hand stretching up so far, how he has the strength to just bat it away, how he even reaches up there, I'll never know. But who cares? He bloody saved it. So now I'm completely out of control, if you can picture it. I can't think straight. I can't stand up. I can't sit down. Autumn is up and trying to keep me calm. But I know if we score the next penalty, we are through. We've won a penalty shootout at a World Cup, at a major tournament. We've actually won one. And eventually I turn back round to the television and I see it's Eric Dyer, and I'm thinking, oh no, oh no. And he steps up, which takes so much guts, by the way. Just imagine the pressure. Round of 16 at a World Cup. The hopes of a nation all resting on his shoulders. But his penalty hits the back of the net. And I literally lost all control of my limbs. I ended up doing some kind of belly slide on the carpet. I pick up autumn and jump up and down. Unbridled joy, yet tears in my eyes. And I can't even describe the emotion, the moment, the feeling, the relief, the release of that tension and thinking about it now it still literally puts a lump in my throat and for all the managers to oversee the victory I'm so happy that it was Gareth Southgate who if you don't know this until this tournament was a man best known for his penalty miss at Euro 96 a penalty shootout that we went on to lose and that tournament was arguably England's best chance of winning a major trophy since the World Cup semi-final penalty shootout loss in Italia 90. You know, we were on home soil, playing great football. 
We had already beaten the likes of Holland and Spain on our way. We were so close to winning that tournament. And he himself has admitted he carried that burden for 22 years. He said in interviews he's been open about it, talking about how people in the street would still shout at him, telling him that he cost us and he let us down. And that made it even more special, even more emotional. A man vilified by not only fans, but by the media. If you were to look back and see the headlines that he got after he missed. Now in 2018, he was leading a young, vibrant team. Filled with young stars, he guided us to our best finish in a tournament in 28 years. The penalty shootout victory was a complete moment of redemption. People went from ridiculing and hating Gareth Southgate to chanting his name loudly and proudly in the streets of England. Everyone was wearing waistcoats that he made so famous during the World Cup. You know, that moment will never be forgotten by me, by the nation, by the players in that squad, but more than anyone by Gareth Southgate. And don't underestimate either the current political climate and how divided England is. For one summer and for one very special moment, all those problems were forgotten. You weren't a Remainer, you weren't a Lever. It was all about the country being as one, supporting our football team. It's arguably one of the greatest moments I have ever had watching football. And that's why it's my moment of 2018. And that's about it for this podcast, guys. I know it was a short one, but I just wanted to tell you about how that moment affected my footballing 2018. I'd love to hear what your moment was. Get involved in the conversation by following the official Twitter account, which can be found under at behind underscore the underscore ball. Remember... It's not easy for me to say, but easy for you guys to type. Thanks again so much for listening. You'll be hearing me next time on Behind the Ball.